This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following content is not suitable for children. So people are debating, is there such a thing as sexual addiction or does that even happen? And we'd like to talk about what we see and how people might get into trouble with sex. Welcome to Foreplay Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. I'm Lori Watson, your sex therapist. And I'm George Fallon, your couples therapist. And we are passionate about talking about sex and helping you develop a way to talk to each other. Our mission is to help our audience develop a healthier relationship to sex that integrates the mind, the heart, and the body. Hey, sign up for our couples retreat on October 1st. Great sex, great love. Just the two of you. More details at the end of this episode. All righty. George, you know, in my field as a sex therapist, there's a lot of debate on whether or not people use sex and can get addicted to it. Some people say, you know, there's no such thing as sexual addiction. I I really don't care what we call it. Mm -hmm. I just know that people sometimes are using behaviors that are sexual in compulsive ways that don't add to their lives and begin to separate them from their partners and really begin to diminish their lives. And so I just can't get all wrapped up about the argument. I just have seen a lot of pain when sex becomes kind of the behavior that is problematic. I'm sure you've seen some of that too. Yeah, I appreciate the frame and not trying to get dragged into a conversation around the definitions. If you find the word addictive helpful, great, use it. If you find it pathologizing and you don't want to use it, that's cool too. But there's a problem there that needs some help. And I, mm-hmm. that's the spirit in which you're trying to work. I, I, I'm with you, girl. Okay, good. What does this look like? What is this? Let's start there. You know, sometimes, and I think more men than women use sex compulsively. I think it is possible that women use sex compulsively, but most of the time the, the patient is male. And, you know, it first might show up in their partnership. Like, you know, he used to want sex all the time and now he doesn't. And it's women have sex forever. And I I don't know what's happened. I mean, the doctor says he's fine, and I don't know where all that energy is going. And a lot of times, men, maybe they start to spend a lot of time on sexual activities. You know, maybe they watch pornography, and this is like watching hours and hours of pornography. And in a way that starts to interfere with their family life, that starts to interfere with their relationships. You know, they're pouring it all out into the porn. And and many times, you know, I I hesitate there because I know men do watch porn and that doesn't necessarily mean they're addicted or compulsive about sexuality. Yeah, for me, it's always a red flag when the person wants to stop and can't stop. Mm-hmm. Right. They they know it's interfering with their life. You know, they know they're drinking too much. They know they're watching too much porn. They're making a commitment to themselves to stop or reduce it. And they can't keep that commitment. Yes. And I think that's oftentimes the tip that he's saying, you know, my behavior is out of control for me. I can't stop this. And, right. and I think particularly I've seen the way that 
just kind of jump in with that because I love the vulnerability, the honesty and naming that, that if you can say out loud, you know, I can't control this, right? You're on the pathway to recovery. You're putting it out there. That's I, I just so admire that risk when people can say that instead of keep denying it and denying it and denying it. Mm-hmm. You know, my experience when people can take that big step and say, hey, I have a problem. You know, they embrace the term, you know, then you could rally the resources needed to start kind of changing the behavior. Yeah. I mean, that's a person who's beginning to see the problem and get ready for change and healing. And certainly compulsive sexual activities can be much more than porn. I worked with a man who had um, started as a young boy. He he had gone to something called a glory hole, which is essentially a place you put your penis and somebody on the other side manipulates you or gives you a hand job or a blow job or something. And he'd been doing this for years. And and then even though he got married, he was very committed to his wife. He he really was a beautiful soul. But this behavior just escalated. You know, eventually there were escorts and prostitutes and lots of women. And it seemed even for himself kind of almost like a different person doing these things. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good sign of that compartmentalizing you often see with addictions, right? Mm-hmm. They have secret lives. You know, I work with a lot of clients the same way. They go to massage parlors. They, you would never think these people, you know, they one side of themselves is such a family person of values and community leaders. And then they have this other side and they don't want to keep doing it and they can't stop it, right? Because mm-hmm. it just, they can go a couple of months and boom, that compulsion gets so strong. They get they put themselves back in these situations. Right. And many times, once the sexual compulsion is entrenched, these people start to take risks that really could destroy their lives. It obviously can destroy their relationship. But even at work, you know, they come on to lots of women. I mean, it used to be that men would be found watching porn on work servers, computer servers. I think everybody's got a phone right now, so that doesn't happen as much anymore. But even still, I mean, I talk to lots of men who say, yeah, you know, I probably watch porn two out of the eight hours that I'm supposed to be working, you know. So at some point, their work is going to suffer. And I think that the escalation of the danger that men are willing to put themselves in, obviously prostitution without condoms or sometimes behaviors that are illegal. I had a couple come in and he was doing something called upskirting. And he'd basically put his phone in a in a grocery store little hand cart and slide it. You know, he'd stand next to a woman at the butcher counter and put it down and then his his camera would record underneath her skirt. And the wife was like, well, you know, nothing's happening. I'm like, are you kidding me? There are cameras all over the grocery store. He could have been recorded right now. He's going to jail. Like this is this is crazy violation. And, you know, she just, A, couldn't believe that he was doing it and B, really sort of that denial of how dangerous this was to her, you know, Mm -hmm. to her reputation, to her finances. I'm like, look at girl, you know, this is going to be in court. This is going to be public. This is going to come out. And so they had difficulty seeing what it was all about, that it was really sexual compulsion. And, you know, that kind of brings us to why do people do this? You know, what, what would drive somebody to take this kind of risk? What drives them into behaviors that are so antithetical to relationship and the way 
lovemaking bonds us to our partner. One of my favorite sayings is that Irish proverb, everyone focuses on the drinking and not the thirst, right? I think as a therapist, I try to bring non-judgmental curiosity that says, you know, what would make this man take such a risky behavior? You know, what, what's the payoff? What's, what's driving it? Everyone in the world is going to say, what's wrong with you? And at some level, he knows that. And yet there's something about it that he can't stop. How do you get people to, at the end of the day, I think when you try to get people to just stop the behavior, to white knuckle it, right? To say, I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it anymore. Mm-hmm. They, it's, it blocks off life energy. They, they got to find healthier expressions than this, this expression, that the way it's showing itself. Because there's life force in these compulsions, mm-hmm. right? But it's just very twisted in how it's expressing itself. Right. And I think the more we can unpack that and help them get those needs met in healthier ways, then that's the best way of kind of working through a compulsion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's the thirst. It's the emptiness inside. I mean, any addiction in my mind, and this is how I treat sex addiction or sexual compulsion, it's really about a loss of connection. You know, there's something that they're starving for, the, the good of being loved or being connected, and they don't have it. And oftentimes there's wounds in their childhood, there's trauma. The man that I first described, I mean, he was an African-American man and had suffered so much racism. It's just beyond what we could ever imagine. I mean, the Ku Klux Klan burned crosses on his lawn, beat up his father. I mean, it was, it was just it was just awful. And he almost had to kind of split off his self. I'm not talking about a multiple personality or anything, but he, this was compartmentalized, the trauma of what he had endured. And this was kind of the frantic way he was trying to deal with it. This man, particularly when he told his wife and I had him, he had never told about the racial trauma that he had endured or about the sexual compulsivity. And I had him tell her both stories. And she said, the most loving thing I've ever heard a woman say to a man when she first hears this whole story, she's like, I know you didn't do this to hurt me. And I mean, her first response was love. It wasn't like she didn't get angry and didn't have a a reaction, but she saw right to the heart of his pain. She saw him as a good person who had been broken. And I think that's what you find in these moments of brokenness, that people get a little respite in these actions. You know, they get, they have an orgasm, they have a, a release of dopamine, and, and all of a sudden, their body likes it, right? In moments of stress, it gets easier for the body to say, hey, remember this thing that, that worked for us. And mm-hmm. those neural pathways just grow with exposure, I so agree. I mean, there's kind of a hit, whether it's a substance or an orgasm or just your body getting aroused, which kind of enlivens the day. There's something that becomes a pathway that says this is this is a good thing in the beginning. Yeah, short term. Short term and feels like it soothes that part. I mean, we, we're reaching for a thing, if you will, or instead of the person and the connection that would truly heal those broken places that would quench the thirst. So 
Let's come back and talk a little bit more about how we heal this and help people and maybe how attachment theory can help. We'll be back in a minute. Oh my God, yes. Really, it's a binge watch with benefits. You know, most entertainment shows, they don't leave you better off than when you watched it. And most online education feels like work. So people don't find the time to do it. But Oh My God, Yes is really something bingeable. It's like a show you want to keep watching and watching. And it helps you with your sex life. It gives you terms. It shows you techniques. At Foreplay Radio, we hear so many couples don't have a pathway to know exactly how to touch her and bring her to orgasm. And this is the way to do it. And so we recommend it. It's tasteful. It's beautiful artwork. OhMyGodYes.com. And for those therapists listening, they have actually done the largest ever peer-reviewed and published research into women's pleasure. It's all in one website. We also have a special code on our website under the resource section at foreplayradiosextherapy.com for you to access ohmygodyes.com for free to help yourself and help your patients. Foreplay listeners save 10% at omgyes.com slash foreplay. Frustrating low libido can be, well, frustrating. Sound familiar? Visit addyi.com slash foreplay and complete your online consultation today to see if Addy or Flabanserin is right for you. Addy is for premenopausal women with acquired generalized hypoactive low sexual desire disorder, HSDD, who have not had problems with low sexual desire in the past and who have low sexual desire no matter the type of sexual activity, the situation, or the sexual partner. The low sexual desire is troubling to them and is not due to a medical or mental health problem, problems in the relationship, or medicine or other drug use. Addy is not for use in men or to enhance sexual performance. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is increased if you drink one to two standard alcoholic drinks close in time to your Addy dose. Wait at least two hours after drinking before taking Addy at bedtime. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is also increased if you take certain prescriptions, over-the-counter or herbal medications, or have liver problems. Low blood pressure and fainting can happen when you take Addy even if you don't drink alcohol or take other medicines. Sleepiness, sometimes serious, can occur. Common side effects include dizziness, nausea, tiredness, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, and dry mouth. See full PI, including box warning at addy.com forward slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Visit addyi.com slash foreplay. We at Foreplay are excited about Addy and to help share the love, our listeners can now schedule their Addy consultation for only $10. To see if Addy is right for you, visit addy.com and use the coupon code foreplay at checkout to redeem this offer. That's code foreplay at addyi.com. Compulsive behaviors. How do we help? There's a big shame trap happening here, mm-hmm. right? You were just talking about the short-term relief. The body gets excited. There's a high that's going to come that's trying to pull people out of whatever's happening in their lives. You know, there's an escape in a lot of these behaviors. The problem is after, after the high comes the crash, right? And the crash is where you're going to get heavy degrees of shame where people kind of hate themselves and want to hide and don't want to talk about it. And, you know, that place is dark, mm-hmm. right? And, and the more energy that gets lost in that, the more your, your body needs to get away from it, to escape from it, right? And it needs another dose of the, the hit, the escape. And then here comes the shame again. I mean, it's such a shame trap for people with addictions. And, you know, what makes shame so powerful is the secrecy. Mm-hmm. And that's why when people can say something, I mean, the antidote to shame is connection. It's empathy, right? It's not being alone. It's so counterintuitive to want to let people in. And yet that's the simple solution. I know it's complicated, but in its essence, 
what your what your partner did is she loved her man in his shame. It was hard for him to believe he deserves love for all that he's done. Mm-hmm. Yet her partner is saying, "No, I get you. You're not doing this to hurt me. You're dealing with your pain this way." Well, that's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It really, it was one of my favorite moments of therapy ever to see and. You know, we see so much brokenness, but sometimes we see incredible love and and it was not, you know, just washing it away and forgiving it on the spot, but it was her genuinely taking in what he was saying and loving. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's so counterintuitive. I had a client, you know, a guy, multiple affairs, compulsions, massive amount of shame. And just for our listeners to recognize in these places, the person is convinced they don't deserve love. To me, this is the definition of hell. They're alone, cut off from all relationships, and they despise themselves. Nobody could thrive in a place like this. Mm -mm. So the only logical move is then just hide it because you don't want people to see these parts of yourself because then they're going to confirm that you're unlovable and reject you. And you're bad. You're just so bad. bad. So the only option becomes hiding, right? Right. And the more you hide, the darker the hole gets. So I had a guy, you know, just go into that place and let his wife in. And his wife was very reluctant because she felt like if she responds to him, she's telling him it's okay to do these things. You know, so I asked her, I said, I get your reluctance. Like, you don't want to tell him it's okay. So you're going to withhold love here to motivate him to keep trying. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, what's the option if you withhold love here and he hates himself here? How is this place ever really going to get better? And she looked at me like a light bulb went off in her head. And she was like, You're asking me to crawl over glass to kind of help him out there. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, and when, if you're not ready for it, that's cool, but that's, that's what love's willing to do, mm-hmm. right? And she reaches over to him and she says, just because you've done really bad things doesn't mean you deserve to be left alone in this bad place, mm-hmm. right? And again, that's the first time another human being had ever touched this man in this place where he's convinced he doesn't deserve love. Mm-hmm. If we don't need it, their love, I mean, where, where can we need it? Right. So true. And I love that. That's it's a great example of somebody caring for their partner. And I mean, as you talk about it, and I know you, George, you, you probably worked with them for hours to get that to happen and to get them to a place where that happens. I, you know, we, we want the partners also to hear that upon discovery of this, we get it. I mean, you can be devastated and outraged and justifiably so because i think especially in sexual compulsion mm-hmm. you know it's a a breach of the marital contract and relationship and promises and vows and it can just feel terrible let alone the the possibilities of stds and mm-hmm. other children out of wedlock and money down the drain that's been spent that should have come to the family that's been spent on escorts and prostitutes and and I think just the the awfulness, I think sometimes of the the breadth of this kind of problem, mm-hmm. you know, how long it goes on can just feel overwhelming to the partner. Like I, I got to get out of this, you know, this right. is too much. And but we do work with people who want to stay and want to heal this. And we're not asking partners to be saints. You know, we're not asking them to be the healer. Actually, we stand with those people. And I think how you said shame is one of the reasons that 
you know, one of the parts that makes the addiction cycle worse. That's why therapy works is because we're exposing the whole process and standing with them. That's why I think AA or Addicts Anonymous or, or those groups basically work is because the problem is being exposed and people are standing there right. with them, exactly. caring for them, loving them, offering something which is different. It's relationship. I, I often sometimes think that the AA groups are doing the real work in the world of the one place people can go other than therapy, perhaps to have a genuine conversation about who they are and not get shame for it and still receive love and support and care. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think the AAA has been one of the greatest creations in, in this century because mm-hmm. what is it? It's public vulnerability. It is. You know, we don't have a lot of places to go and yet here are people coming together willing to do that. And too often we see addiction as a problem, like post-traumatic stress is a problem within the person. It's a disease. It's something broken within them. And we don't see the relational importance. It's really about disconnection. That's yeah. what the thirst is about. Yeah. If you're isolated and you're cut off, your body just wants something to look forward to it. And it becomes a form of escape. It becomes a form of just kind of getting a temporary high that feeds the shame and the disconnection. And here we go. So yes, I love that AA is just helping people come together. And wouldn't it be also helpful that you don't have to go to strangers to talk about it. You also can learn how to do this with your partner. Exactly. And we could spend a whole show and we do on recovering affairs and the betrayal and the partner's response and normalizing that. But this is really focusing on what drives these addictions in the person doing it. Right. And so many times I just want to highlight again, that lack of connection, the disconnect that they have. I mean, many of these people have been abused in childhood. They've Mm -hmm. been traumatized or they had, you know, an early and inappropriate sexual experience. I mean, a lot of these people have been molested sometimes long-term And so their body knows something about sex and they act out in that direction and sex doesn't become the healing, loving thing that it could, or maybe it does, you know, it's compartmentalized on one hand it is. And on the other hand, it isn't. The wires can get crossed, especially when you have abuse. It's, it's normal for your body to like something as it's still really horrible. I worked with a, with a lady who was raped and the only way she could have an orgasm was to think about the rape. Right. Imagine what that's like, you know, in how it impacts your intimate relationships. So how do we lean into those places, not shame people for they've just their brain has learned getting turned on is connected to these types of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. And it leads to more isolation and disconnection. We want them to learn how to have those behaviors in healthier connection, because if you have that, then, then the pull towards this other place isn't so strong. One of the things that sexually compulsive people need is the healing of sex. Mm. I know that there are some types of healing programs that say, you know, don't be sexual for so many days or months and so that you can kind of change your mind about that. But I think in a partnership, some of the problems are that sex is part of now the entanglement in the negative cycle between the couple. You know, maybe one person has been bullying and pushing and demanding sex, but it's been used in this frenetic way to soothe the addictive part. 
or they have turned off sex and they don't give it to their partner and their partner is like, are you kidding me? You've been having sex with all these people and you haven't been sexual with me and I've been longing for this. And it somehow or another does often get wrapped into the negative part of the way the couple is relating. And so I'm not saying necessarily immediately, but eventually, you know, my work is to help them have sex with each other in ways that are emotionally connected, do feed each other, do love each other. Yeah, it shows how bad the problem has become when your turn on can no longer be expressed in the relationship. Mm-hmm. That your brain needs the high of this behavior versus what real love can, real sex, healthy sex can give you. Mm-hmm. And that could be a process. I mean, it makes sense why you've been turned off if your brain has been exposed thousands of times to this way of having an orgasm. Yeah. It, it gets harder to do it in the healthier ways. And that's just the work. I mean, the good news is there are some really clear maps on how to get people from places of compulsions and problems to places of health. We're not just making this stuff up. I mean, we have nature on our side. We know what secure attachment and great sex looks like. We just need to help people guide them all towards that that pathway. Right. I think it's, it's so confusing, uh, especially for the partner, because sex is sort of like it, it does look relational if it's not just masturbation, but in this way, it's it's almost like reaching for something that is just an act. It's 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 a behavior that is not necessarily really the connecting kind of sex that we think of. So this is tough. Highly recommend that if there's discovery or if you know in yourself that there's sexual compulsivity that you reach out to a therapist. And, you know, of course we believe in emotionally focused therapy as superior in terms of really helping people find connection and helping them cope with this level of trauma, helping them get to the point where they're not traumatized themselves and they can start that work of reconnection, which eventually we think heals the deeper need, the deeper thirst. Yes. Don't get over-focused on the behavior. That's the tip of the iceberg. It's the presenting problem, and it's great if you could just name that. But the real work is going deeper, just like you said. You have good reasons why you're doing what you're doing. But if you want to have a better outcome, you got to find healthier ways of expressing it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Keep it hot, y'all. Our couples retreat is coming up, and we'd love to invite all of you. It's going to be on October 1st, which is a Friday from 10 to 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. We're offering an early bird discount for the first 20 people who fully pay and sign up. And, you know, we're going to do all kinds of cool stuff. We talk about male and female arousal and how to get to the best sex and what the sexual attachment cycle is all about and how to resolve problems. And I just want you to know that all the exercises are private. So you're only going to be doing it with your partner. You can ask questions and talk in the group, but it's not necessary. So... I just thought, George, I would read something that people who have gone through this have said to us. Cool. So here's something that someone wrote. We enjoyed it. We came home and are attempting to turn our bedroom into more of a sanctuary. Lots of great information and lots of areas that we both saw how we can improve and why we are struggling in some areas. Our commitment to each other is stronger just by having invested in the seminar. Very cool, Lori. I mean, that's... That's our promise that if you devote some space intentionally to talk about topics most of us don't get help talking about, you're going to leave the day in better shape than you came in. We'd love to have you sign up. It's on our website, foreplayradiosextherapy.com, and it's under the resource section. 
Lori, really excited about the Success and Votability Project. We are really pushing the leading edges of therapy and breaking down the process and in moments, session by session, choice points. Why does this work? What intervention are you using? If it works, what do you do next? I mean, this is the next level for therapists. If you want to up your game, you want to see real clinical examples, you want to break down the process, you want demonstrations, you want teaching. I mean, it's all there. Really exciting, good stuff. It is. I love it. I listen to the new modules repeatedly. It's great information. I'm learning, you know, still in the process and it is good. I love what you guys do teaching and the demonstrations. They're fun. They're funny and they're really helpful to my work. So this is training for therapists. If you'd like this training, go to successinvulnerability.com. It's all one word, successinvulnerability.com. Call in your questions to the 4Play question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-MY, the number 4, play. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. This podcast is copyrighted by 4Play Media. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.